Our scripture reading this morning comes from Revelation chapter 3, the very end of the chapter, verses 14 through 22. If you don't have your Bibles, we have it printed there in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. I have too many electronic things on my pulpit. Let's see. Hear the word of the Lord for us this morning. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so you may be rich, and white garments, so you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray as we come to the Lord, uh, to, the Lord to the Word together. Father, we thank you again for this new year, for a fresh start. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you most of all for your son. And we pray, Lord, that as we consider uh, what he says here to this church of long ago, Lord, open our ears and our minds to what you are saying to us through your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the last in a series of sermons on the the seven churches of of, uh, Revelation. And so um, just I thought it would be interesting. I found a, 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 a sermon that Kevin DeYoung actually preached a number of years ago here in Albuquerque, I believe it does at Springs Church at their, at their uh, Claire's Conference. Uh, Kevin is a, is a fellow Michigander, as, uh, born there, and, uh, and also he's a P- PCA uh, teaching elder and, uh, and professor RTS in Charlotte. But he, 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 he gave a helpful summary of, of the uh, seven churches and kind of what you imagine what they look like. And so, for example, the first church that we looked at in Revelation 2 is Ephesus. Ephesus was, a, as Kevin described, it would be a loveless fundamentalist church. Uh, very, 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 very good on the particulars, but not very good at loving. And so Jesus' uh, uh, counsel to, to the church of Ephesus is to love, be loving. For Smyrna, that was, that was the church that was persecuted. You may remember, it was, you, uh, the young even describes it perhaps as a 1040 window church. If you, do, if you don't know what 1040 window is, that's a... A part of the world that is the, the most unchurched and the most unreached in terms of uh, in terms of the gospel, and most persecuted. And Jesus' uh, charge to that church was be faithful. For the church of Pergamum, Kevin described them. DeYoung described them as an ungrounded college ministry church. You can almost imagine a, a college ministry that that uh, goes from from being a small kind of parachurch ministry to suddenly being a college church. Uh, but not, not always the most discerning. And so their, their charge was to be discerning. At Thyatira, DeYoung describes them as a loving, progressive church. Very open, very loving, but over-tolerant. And so DeYoung's th- 
thinking is that Jesus would tell them to, to be thinking. Think, he said, is their charge. For the church at Sardis, and this is, I believe, this is the first church in, in chapter 3. Uh, the first church in Sardis would, would be like a, a mega church that had a great reputation in the community, but actually was very dead on the inside. The charge there, you may, may remember from Jesus, is wake up. The church in Philadelphia was a small, solid church, just faithful, and their, their, uh, their, their charges to press on. And today, the church in Laodicea, the young, the young describes it as a suburban church, affluent and apathetic, which oftentimes go together, unfortunately. And the charge there is to be zealous. Well, that's it. We're done. Nope. I'm, no, actually, we're going to go into more about, about Laodicea. This idea about being zealous and being the idea of uh, this church being affluent and apathetic, those things oftentimes go together. There's a, uh, a great term called affluenza. Does anyone remember that term affluenza from the news a few years ago? Um, it, defining this, uh, this, this, uh, this uh, kind of uh, socioeconomic term. Um, where is it? Here it is. Yeah, according to the dictionary, it's actually made the dictionary. It's a psychological malaise supposedly affecting wealthy young people. I would say it affects older people too. Symptoms of which include a lack of motivation, feelings of guilt, and a sense of isolation. And I love the way they use it in the sentence. They want for nothing, yet are crippled by affluenza. And the, the, particularly, you might remember a few years ago, there was a young man in Texas who, who, uh, who hit a couple people with his vehicle and killed them. And he wound up fleeing to Mexico uh, for turning himself in. And his lawyer actually gave the defense that he suffered from affluenza. Which I think is a real thing, but of course it's an awful defense. Um, this church in Laodicea was suffered from affluenza. Laodicea was very wealthy. It was known for its banking. It was known for its, its clothing that you could get there. It was also known for its medical school. And in particular, they were really good at, at, at healing eye diseases. Uh, there was a salve that you could get only in, a, in a Laodicea. Uh, and so that was also what they were known for. I think there's a lot of, lot of us in Laodicea in terms of the wealth that we have. Even those of us who, I think most of us in this room would not consider ourselves wealthy compared to other Americans. But we are like the 0.5, 0.1% in the world. Even those of us that think that we're not very wealthy, we have much. So what does Jesus say to us this morning? as he talks to us in his word. Well, first of all, Jesus reveals. He reveals truth in verses 14 through 17. Let me read that again for us. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So Jesus reveals something about himself here. He, he, he calls himself the amen. That word, uh, we say it all the time, but we rarely talk about what it means. It means truly. You know, perhaps those of us who grew up under the King James Bible might also remember Jesus saying, Verily, verily, I say to you. Right? Truly, truly, I say to you. So he is the truth. And then he, it's, it's, to, to, uh, to make sure he get points of, brings the, word, the point home, he calls himself the faithful and true witness. There are probably many witnesses that are not faithful or true. Uh, there are all kinds of, of, of things in this world that are trying to get our attention. Uh, if you turn on the television or, 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 uh, or the internet, there's going to be all kinds of, of things that are trying to get your attention. They're shading the truth. 
They're only telling you perhaps part of the truth. Uh, Jesus is the faithful and true witness. He's going to tell you the, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And he's called the beginning of God's creation. Well, Jesus wasn't created. He was, he was eternally, uh, he was never made, right? It's a similar thought to, what, uh, to how Paul describes it in Colossians chapter 1. By the way, Colossians was also a letter that was written uh, and also read, not just to the Colossians, but to other churches in the area, including Laodicea. I think it's three or four times in Colossians chapter 4 the, the church in Laodicea is mentioned. Listen to these words about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of, of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is the preeminent one. He is the truth teller. He is the true witness. So that's who he reveals himself to be. What does he reveal about Laodicea? Let's look at 15 through 17. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you be, were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So after he talks about himself, Jesus says, I know you. And you've got some problems. In fact, Laodicea, I think, is in worse shape than any of the churches in, out, of, out of the seven. Even, even uh, Sardis, that was, that, that, was told, that, was, that was basically told to wake up because they were, they were dead. They had even had a faithful remnant that was still following Jesus at the time. There's nothing like that here in Laodicea. Um, first of all, look at how, how, how it's described here. How they basically makes making God want to throw up. That's really what that means when he says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. It's in the Old Testament, that same term is used as vomit. And it's an interesting thing. There was a trade route that, uh, that uh, Laodicea was involved in. There was a town called Heriopolis that was nearby on one side. And Colossae, the, the, the town we talked about, the Colossians, was also on the same trade route. Now, Colossae had a cold water Mountain stream, that's where they got their water from. And so it was cold and refreshing, uh, easily used uh, to drink. The, the town of Heriopolis nearby, they had hot springs. And so their water was hot, but it was, it, was, it, was, it was useful for healing, for aching muscles and those kinds of things. Laodicea, even though it was a greater city than either of the other two, had to get its water from an aqueduct, which traveled a long distance. I think it was actually the same, uh, same source that Colossae used. But because it went so long, by the time the water got to, got, uh, got to Laodicea, it was tepid, you know, kind of lukewarm. And so it was neither hot nor cold. Now this isn't, a, some, uh, sometimes you'll hear this preached or studied, and you'll, you'll hear that people say, well, it's, it's better that you either, you're either hot for Jesus, you know, that your, your faith is burning up, or that you're cold, that you don't, you don't believe him at all, and you're, you're just honest about it. Well, that's not quite what's being said here. I think what's being said is that 
If you were cold, you'd be refreshing, like, 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 like drinking water, or you'd be hot, like, like the healing waters in the, in the springs. But the, La the Laodiceans are worthless. They're like that water. They're, you know, imagine you're out and you've, you've mowed the lawn. None of us probably have a lawn that's very, 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 very big in the southwest. So either you imagine that you mowed the lawn or you've, you've played 18 holes of golf or you've been a long bike ride or a hike. Something where you've really exercised and you come into the house and you want something cold. But imagine that you thought you were getting a cold glass of water and someone hands you just a tepid glass of water. It's just, it's just not right. Or imagine perhaps that you're at the balloon fiesta and you, and you, and you got up early and it's cold. And you were to buy a cup of coffee and you just trust that it's hot, even though it doesn't feel hot because it's really well insulated. And you start to drink it and it's, it's just cold-ish. Just that feeling of, of wrong. It's worthless. So they have this tepid faith. A faith that's neither hot nor cold. That's why he says, I want to spit you out of my mouth. I really want to vomit you out of my mouth. But that's not all. They not only have a tepid faith, but they have a, they have a, a talent for self-deception. So again, um, I noted earlier, they're known for finance, right? Clothing and their medical school. And they, and they insist they're prosperous. They don't need anything. Instead, Jesus calls them wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Notice the last three, poor, that, that, would, uh, that would go against their, uh, their, go against their, their uh, trust in their, in their finances. They're blind, even though that they claim to be, have the greatest medical school for ophthalmology. And they're naked, even though they claim to be the, one of the clothing centers of the world. It's a lot like the emperor's new clothes, right? They think they're, they think they're hot stuff, but they're not. I can't help but think of a long of a, a skit on Saturday Night Live a long time ago with Charlton Heston back in the 80s. Yes, Charlton Heston actually went on Saturday Night Live. Interesting combination. He actually played a he played a Ronald a president he like a like a President Reagan kind of kind of character, a little older guy who was a little out of it but was was the president. And he kept eating things that kept smat, smudging stuff on his face. Like he would eat a hot dog and, and there would be a little bit of ketchup on, on one corner. He'd eat a hamburger and there'd be a, another bit of mustard on on his chin, and no one wanted to tell him that. No one would ever tell him that the, the no one would ever tell the president that he has mustard on his chin, or ketchup on, on the corner of his mouth, or fudge on the top, on the tip of his nose. So that he this kid goes on. He's having more and more meetings, and no one wants to tell him that. It's a little bit like that here. Except Jesus is not afraid to tell him, or not Jesus is not afraid to tell church and Laodicea, not afraid to tell us. The truth about who we are. Our skill at self-deception is superb. That's why we need God's word. Because Jesus reveals to us the truth of, of who he is, of who God is, of who we are, what's going on presently in the world, and what is to come. That's why it's especially important to get engaged with God's word. Because it is really a place that is a mirror. God will show you who you are. And more, most importantly, to show you who he is and how you can fit into his story and how he has jumped into your story. So that's Jesus revealing the truth about Laodicea and about himself. Then he counsels the church in verses 18 and 19. Ironically, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. 
and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So in verse 18, he uses a metaphor. Again, using things the Laodiceans are most proud of. Pointing to the reality that the church must put her trust in Jesus and not these material things. They're claiming to be rich, but Jesus says, look, you need to buy, you need to buy special gold from me. You, you claim to have all these wonderful garments, but you need, to have, you need to buy some righteousness, some white garments from me. You claim to be able to, to heal people's eyes, but you are blind and you need, you need to be able to see. So buy anointment from me. Well, what are we buying things? How are we buying those things from Jesus? How does that work? Sandy Wilson, again, another, another preacher, pastor I, I trust, uh, preaching on this uh, text said that trust is spiritual currency. Trust is spiritual currency. That when we trust Jesus, that's when we're able to buy these things. These things Jesus wants them to purchase that they can have by having faith in him. I have no doubt that, uh, that Jesus perhaps was referring to Isaiah chapter 55 in these remarks. You probably have heard these words, but just listen to, to Isaiah 55 verses 1 and 3. 1 through 3. The prophet says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. I have no doubt that that's perhaps what Jesus was thinking about when he offered these words. We come to the waters. We in Jesus, we have satisfaction, we have sustenance, we have riches that this earth can never offer us. Really, what, 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 uh, what the Laodiceans had was monopoly money. You've heard me talk about that before. What Jesus is offering is real stuff. The stuff that lasts beyond this life into the life eternal. And then in verse 19, he says, Those I love I discipline, so be zealous and repent. One of the things I used to tell kids when I, when I coached basketball, uh, I used to tell them that uh, I'm going to get after you a little bit this season. There are many times when I'm going to encourage you to play defense harder or I'm going to encourage you to use a better technique on offense. And I said, don't worry about it. I said, when I get after you, I'm just trying to coach you. I'm trying to make you better. I said, what you should be worried about is if I never talk to you. <laughs> if I don't get after you, if I always say, nice try, Johnny. If I always tell you that and I never, ever get after you, and try to correct you. That's when you should be concerned. That's when I've kind of given up on you. How much more then does, is, does Jesus say here. That when he, those whom he loves. He reproves and disciplines. He is, he is showing us. As the writer of Hebrews would agree. In Hebrews chapter 12. right, That our sonship. Our idea that we are heirs. Along with Christ. That because of that. He will discipline us and love us. That's why he encouraged us to be zealous and repent. To be zealous and repent. Now for zeal, zeal is just an earnestness in faith. Sometimes it can involve emotion, but sometimes not. So some of you might say, well, I'm just not a very emotional person. I don't really get into the emotions of my faith. Which actually is kind of interesting because most of us, I think, particularly those of us who love sports, if I, if I spend some time with you around your favorite team, I bet I can see some zealousness, some, uh, some excitement. 
when you're when you're uh, when your team is winning or losing. Many of us were were living and dying with the Lobo game yesterday. Uh, you, I I promised that I was zealous uh, during 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 that game. And again, the idea is we're to be zealous and repent. We're always to look at who we are and realize that we need God's grace. That's the that's the, that's the Christian life. Is the is putting our faith in Christ. Realizing where, 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 where we fall short, repenting of those things, it's a cycle. It's a cycle of Christianity and the gospel. A little bit more on that in just a moment. And finally, Jesus has offers. He offers things in verses 20 through 22. Probably the most famous verse in this, uh, these seven, of these seven churches is verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Really, Jesus is offering, he's offering intimacy. And I think it's been said several different ways in, this, in, these, in, these, uh, in these seven letters. Jesus wants to know you. He wants, to, he wants to spend time with you. He wants to know us. He wants you to know him. There was no greater way in those days to spend time with someone than to offer a meal. Uh, and just as if, you know, if you were, if you were here, to, if you were here, the door knocking at your house, we we can't ignore that, right? It's something you want to go to. And this is not necessarily. You probably have heard this verse used as a as an evangelism text, and I'm not sure that's a bad idea. But I think particularly to realize this is a this is a letter written to a church. This is Jesus basically saying to those who are part of the church, I I don't want you to keep me at arm's distance anymore. I want to know you and I want you to know me because by doing so, I can share that love with you and you can be transformed. Verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit, sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat with my father on his throne. This is real power, real authority, not the kind the Laodiceans thought was real power. They, they had thought they had it all because they had money. Because they had all these other things. Jesus is saying, you can sit and rule the nations with me. What an extraordinary thing to think that when we're in heaven, one of the things we can look forward to one day is, is ruling over all creation as regents with Jesus himself. And then of course, finally, the prayer or the, the encouragement, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I wonder, what do you think the Spirit is saying to you this morning? What has He been saying to you throughout this series? What has He been saying to us as a church? I'm not sure. But it's important to think about that, particularly as we engage the Word. Perhaps this year, many of you are starting out. It's January 1st. It's a time of resolutions. Uh, probably one of the most well-known resolutions, particularly for Christians, is perhaps to get more involved in a Bible reading plan. I encourage you to do so. I, ha I, I, can, I can certainly recommend one to you if, you, if, if, if uh, need be. But we don't read the Bible just to get more knowledge about God. We read the Bible to spend time with Him. It's, our, it's His way of communicating with us the most directly. It's how we experience His Spirit. It's a, it's, it's a way of experiencing God's grace. So what is the Spirit saying to us as a church? What is the Spirit saying to your family? What is the Spirit saying to you? And really one of the best ways to listen to the Spirit is to be engaged in His Word and in prayer. 
Just to finish up, and I realize it's a little brief this morning, but I figured you wouldn't mind on a holiday. Laodicea is the worst of the seven churches. Again, there's no commendation. There's no remnant to encourage. And yet Jesus reaches out to her. He offers his counsel, his remedy, his presence, and his promises. Here's something I I was thinking about this, uh, this week. How did Jesus wind up on the other side of the door? How did Jesus wind up on the other side of the door? Why does he have to knock at the door? Why isn't he already inside? And that, first of all, should terrify you. That there was a church in Laodicea that apparently was, was, that thought they had it all. And Jesus had left the building. Did they even notice? How long did that happen? Did, did anyone even notice? When did this happen? How did it happen? The fact that Jesus has to knock at the door of their church. Scary. And yet Jesus offers himself to dead churches, to spiritually dead people. He knocks, he desires for a relationship and friendship and intimacy. And the best part of all is that he has not given up on us. He has not given up on the worst of us. Because his church, for as flawed, as messed up as we are sometimes, we are his bride. We are his beloved, the church that he loves and gave himself for us. If there's one thing I want you to remember this year, it is to remember that God has not given up on you. That in Christ, he continues to knock at the door. He has a way of knocking in a way, I think, that will wind up be compelling for you. He relentlessly pursues us. As Adam was praying just a moment ago, he relentlessly pursues the best for us, which is also the thing that glorifies him the most. So, dear friends, put your trust in Jesus. Make sure you are looking at the mirror of God's word this year. And as you do so, may you consider what the Spirit is saying to you and to us as a church. And may we glorify him as we pursue him by his grace. Let's pray as we come to the Lord's table.